This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Will you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25? And during our time here, I'm going to be talking about Advent. We're starting our series, and there's some brothers who have Bibles, and they're going to be passing about. If you need one, just raise your hand real quick. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. If you didn't bring your Bible this morning, uh, please get that in your hands, and then and you could just leave it here, and we'll pick it up afterwards. Matthew chapter 25, we're starting our series called Return of the King, Return of the King. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what Advent is and kind of give you a picture of what Advent is. But um, there's a statement that's made by a guy named Sam Chan. Um, He said this, never ask a fish what water is like. Once you live in an environment, you don't notice it. When I start talking about the culture that we live in and why we have kind of forsaken our historic roots of celebrating these kinds of things as churches. I want you to understand that it's, it's hard to ask a Westerner what our culture is like because we swim in it every day. It's just what we breathe. It's just how we live. So to have a real understanding or critique of the culture in which you live in is very difficult because many of us, if we're honest, are just swept away by the reality of the culture we live in and don't spend much time critiquing or living counterculturally. So much of this critique doesn't just come from those who are a part of the kingdom of God, but also those who who see things through this lens and then also from other parts of the nation. We are very unique in how we live, a Western mindset. One of those is we are very individualistic. That means that we want things our own way. That means the idea of celebrating kind of historic traditions is not attractive to us. We want our own traditions, the ones we made up. We don't want to tie ourselves to kind of history and be a part of a bigger picture of history. We want our own individual identity. So even things that we would call traditions like Advent, we have a hard time celebrating. And even in recent times, most churches don't even know what Advent is. And this is very, very, very recent because for dec- for centuries, Advent has been a part of the church calendar, has been celebrated for centuries. Probably since the fourth century, it's been celebrated all the way up till probably the 1950s is when you started to see it slide in the church. So you're talking about 1,900 years of celebrating Advent, and then all of a sudden this individualistic culture comes up and is like, we don't need Advent. So because of that, we've kind of lost the meaning and the power of things like this. And let me tell you a little bit about Advent so we can understand it. First, Advent is this Latin word which means the coming. Now, here's what here's what Christmas has become for us. It's become like a big birthday party for Jesus. Right, where we get presents. (laughs) And so when we think of Christmas, we think of 
Jesus came in a manger, and this is when he came. But when the church thought of Advent, it wasn't just about the first Advent, his first coming. It was a lot about the second coming. So people would think about his first coming where he proclaimed that he was going to come again. And the church would remember his first coming and anticipate and long for his second coming. So it wasn't just about baby Jesus. It was about like Wes said, grown-up Jesus coming back and establishing his kingdom. It was marked by a time of remembrance. It was very slow, the lighting of candles. It was very thoughtful. It was marked by prayer and fasting. That does not sound like the Christmas season to me. It's very fast-paced. It's not very thoughtful. It's not marked by prayer and fasting. It's marked by gluttony and greed. It's marked by this reality of all the things that we are. Fast-paced, moving along, consumeristic, individualistic. And that moves me to my next point. The reason why we don't understand Advent is because much of Advent was marked by this idea of giving. And we live in a consumeristic culture. Consumerism is all around us. Marketers have taken Advent and made this their, uh, made this their season, right? Jesus' birthday has become good for the market, good for the economy. Now, it's not surprising to me, and I do this rant every year, so bear with me. That the day after Thanksgiving where we pause and thank God for all that we have, the next day we're out in line saying we don't have enough. And then on December 25th we celebrate the coming of a Savior where this world was broken and in need of a Savior. And then seven days later on, 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 our, on, on New Year's Day we say, I'll make resolutions and I'll, I'll, I'll save myself. It does not take us long to snap back into the realities of what we're really all about. We're not about thankfulness. We're about consuming. We don't have enough. We're not about a need of a Savior. We're about making resolutions. We can change our own life. And the reality is in this consumeristic time, Advent doesn't make much sense because it was about the lighting of candles, the quiet times of families, the, the remembrance and the longing of the coming of Christ and the giving of gifts. Now, I want us to, to take a minute and dream because I, I know that much of this is a dream, but I, I want you to know what I'm praying for this season for us, and I put it up on the screen. I, I want it to just imagine, what if the Christmas season this year was celebrated humbly rather than extravagantly? What if the Christmas season this year you cared more about giving rather than getting what if you spent less and gave more 
What if this Christmas season we remembered the first advent, the the coming of Jesus, but we did not just focus on the baby in the manger? What if our picture of the kingdom got much broader and we remembered that he is coming again? What if in this Christmas season we did things that made us long for the new earth rather than continually trying to get fulfillment out of a fallen earth? What if we did things differently this year? Every year we do something called an Advent offering, which puts in front of our faces, and it was amazing to me as I sat down in the end of the service why we did two songs this morning up front is because we're going to spend time just thinking and praying and worshiping at the end of the service. Sat down with my son and he said, Dad, I really want us to pray about how we can get smaller gifts and give more this year. Why? Because every year we do this thing called Advent and what we celebrate in our home is not how many things we're going to be able to get, although we do get gifts. But as a family, we pray and figure about how we can get less so that we can give more. And I, I, I hope that as, as a church that we take this Advent offering even serious, that we would all pray that same thing. How as a family can we give generously so that this neighborhood can be blessed in some very unique and special ways? Yes, it's sacrificial. But isn't it more like historic celebration and how Christ would call us to celebrate than the way this culture celebrates this time? Here's something that I think is really important. Because many of us only celebrate baby Jesus at Christmas, this season we're going to talk more about the return of the king than the first coming of Jesus. I'm going to use a word that many of us won't know what it means, but I'll use it and and explain it just so that you can understand. It's the word eschatology. This is the study of what will happen at the end. So when people study eschatology, what they're saying is this is what it will look like when Jesus returns. And, And here's what a lot of us get to. We hear all of these kind of predictions and things that will happen, and most of us just go, I don't know what's going to happen, so... I don't even want to talk about it. It doesn't matter. But I'll say this, eschatology really does matter. What you believe will happen at the end really matters, especially for how you live your life right now. Now, there's dangers in not having a good picture of what will happen at the end, and that is we've been told a story through, through our Western culture, and I will say this is a very Western idea, this whole movies that have been made and all these stories that have been told that basically here's what the story is, if you really break it down, that God hates the sin in this world, and he's going to come again, and he's going to come and destroy everything that's in this world, and he's going to rapture the church out out of this earth and he's going to rip them up into heaven and and, and that we're going to be in this world up in heaven and everything here is going to be destroyed. And we're just going to float around on clouds or whatever. I don't know what we're going to do. 
But we have this idea that we're getting ripped out of here and this whole thing is being destroyed. And that has been told to us in stories. But the reality is, this is a very dangerous eschatology. This is not what the Bible teaches. And the reason why this is dangerous is for a few reasons. One is this. When we really believe that God hates this world and that he's going to rip us out of here, we hate the world and we think nothing here is actually worth doing. We feel like, what's the benefit of being here if it's all going to be destroyed? So we think our only purpose here is to pass out tracks and to stand on street corners. We think that's our only purpose. Why? Because it's all getting burned up. We're just trying to get as many people out of here as we can. The other idea is this, and here's just the truth. I'll just be honest. Because I believed this for so many years, when I was about to get married, because I really wanted to be married, if you know what I mean by married. (laughs) When I was getting married and days were coming, I was really scared that God had a really kind of warped sense of humor, that he was going to come back right before (laughs) I said, I do. I just pictured myself standing at the altar and him coming back and destroying all things. I'm like, Lord, I was hours away. You're going to ruin it for me. And the reality is with the picture that we have of the end, we think God's coming will actually ruin our life here. That experience We can't enjoy, we don't understand, and we think that the end will destroy that. The other thing that ends up happening is we don't even know how to live now. Because we have that view of the end, nobody knows what are we supposed to do now. We have no purpose. We're kind of just wandering around, just waiting for everything to break apart. And we don't live in this world with a sense of purpose and what God's called us to do. Now, church, this is not the story that the Bible tells. This is not the story that Scripture speaks of, and I, and I want us to get a picture of this story. So what I did, and I'm so thankful for these guys who put this video out. I want to show this video in six minutes, so I really want you to pay attention because this is going to give us a bigger picture of a better story. Let's start it over, okay? But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here, there's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space.
That's a better story. It's a better story because it's the true story of the world. Is that this earth, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And the picture of revelation is not the destruction of the world, but it is the coming of this kingdom. It's Jerusalem coming down from heaven and God's rule and reign being restored on this earth. Can you imagine this earth without sin? Can you imagine this world without famine, without sickness, without disease, without poverty? Can you imagine what this world will be like under the rule and reign of God? That's heaven. And that's what we are celebrating in this time. We're not just celebrating the first coming, although that was significant because that's when he came and inaugurated his kingdom at his resurrection. But then he promises that he's coming again and he's going to restore all things. And when he comes the second time, he's not coming like the first. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 25. We only have a few, a few minutes. Matthew chapter 25. If you're there, if you could stand with me, we're going to read this section of Scripture. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Now remember, this is God's Word. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took the lamps, they took no oil with them. But this wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But the midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all of those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy yourselves. For while they were going to buy, the bridegroom had came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterwards the other virgins came also saying Lord, Lord, open to us but he answered, truly I say to you I do not know you. Watch therefore for you will know neither the day nor the hour. God let these words settle into our hearts. In Jesus name. Man, you may be seated. There's a couple things we have to learn from this parable that Jesus said, here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. The bridegroom would come into this city and he would say, I'm going to marry this people. I'm going to marry this woman and, and, and I'm going to go and prepare and I'm going to get everything ready. And when everything is ready, I'm going to come back. And they didn't know the day or the hour or the time, but they, they, they knew he was going to come again. And so they would prepare. They would make themselves ready. Here's the reality. If you believe someone is coming, the way you wait is different if you don't believe they're coming. 
Let me give you an example. My dad would say, hey, look, I'm going to come pick you up. We're going to go to our baseball game. We're going to go to your baseball game. And when I get there, I need you to jump in the car and we're going to go. If I believe what my dad said, that he's going to come and pick me up, I'm not going to just sit around and play video games. I'm going to put my suit on. I'm going to get my, my, my baseball gear on. I'm going to get my mitt. I'm going to be waiting by the door, looking out the window, knowing that my dad is going to come and he's going to be ready. So I'm going to prepare myself and I'm going to patiently wait and I'm going to stay ready but if, if, if I don't believe and I don't trust my dad because he's lied to me many times and, and every time he says that he's going to be somewhere he doesn't show up and I have this bad view of his promises what I'll do is I won't get ready because he's not going to come anyways I won't prepare I won't get ready and when he shows up I'll have to quickly try to make myself ready and I'll probably miss it Here's the reality of what is being told in this story. If you believe that Christ has come and he's coming again, the way you live right now reflects what you believe about his coming. Because if you believe he's coming again, you are preparing yourself now for when he returns so that when he comes, you can go into that wedding feast. You're going to live differently than the foolish virgins who, who, who spent their time just... Oh, we got time. Who knows if he's going to come or who knows when he's going to come. And they got caught off guard. Here's what scripture shows us. Scripture shows us that Christ came and, and he's, he has this plan to restore all things and he promises that he's going to come. But in that overlapping of the ages, in this time that we live, we see these two worlds that, that we have our eyes on, the work of Christ and his coming. And the way we live now is a reflection of what we really believe. And so the question that I have to propose to you is this. If people were to look at your life, what kingdom would they say you're preparing for? If people were to look at your life, what kingdom would they say you are hoping in? Because what scripture shows us is this. Turn to James chapter 5. That those who have this perspective, that Christ has come and he's coming again, in this season is a time of waiting what does waiting look like? Does it look like sitting around twiddling your thumbs? No, that looks like unbelief. Waiting looks like preparing. Waiting looks like getting ready. Look what else it looks like. In James chapter 5, let's see if I can get there quickly. James chapter 5. Hebrews. This Bible is not working with me today. James chapter 5, 7 through 9. Look at this. It says this. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against your brothers so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Here's what else happens while you're waiting. You're patient. Here's what scripture shows us. No one knows the day or the hour of his return, but we do know this. Our patience will be tested. 
But we can only be patient when we trust that what he has said is true. We can only be patient when we trust in the goodness of God. And what patience leads to, the Bible says, it shows us it leads us to perseverance. And many of us give up in the middle of waiting because we have not had a good view of what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen at the end. And our hope is resting in these things. And the reality is many of us are swept away with the culture. But what waiting looked like is Preparing, it looks patient, and it looks persevering because hard times are going to come. Church, here's, here's what I think is extremely important in this time of Advent. Is that the way we celebrate this season might be more of a picture of our belief in the coming of God than we like to admit. Because many of us are spending all of our time building our own kingdoms, living in a consumeristic, materialistic mindset, trying to build our own wealth and our own success and our own lives and kind of build up our own kingdoms. We're preparing we're readying ourselves to elevate ourselves, to, to, to be swept away in the realities of this culture, and we're not living our lives radically countercultural. Where everything is consumeristic and individualistic, what we are is a hopeful people that everything here and now is about humbling ourselves and serving and living like Christ, coming into this world and showing them that there's a better way to live because here's what the kingdom is. The kingdom is this, restored back to living under the rule and reign of our God. And it gives purpose to why we're still here because why would the church still be here? And that is we get to be a picture, a preview, a display, a taste of what the kingdom is really like. That the world should be able to look into the people of God and see that they live in this world, but they live under a different rule and reign. The sad part is, that's not often how the church is explained. We're more than likely explained as a people who live just like everyone else. Wanting, desiring, longing for the exact same things. So what is the point of this season? I would say we need to spend more time slowing down, reflecting, and thinking about what was accomplished when Christ came into this world and what he promised he's going to do at the end and find ourselves in this place of preparing, being patient and persevering and celebrating like all the saints of history have celebrated in this time, anticipating the coming of God. So in our services over the next four weeks, we're going to take time at the end of every service to do that, we're going to make a lot of space for repentance, prayer, worship. We're also going to do something, and that 
is we're going to call you above your tithes and offerings to do something different than most of our culture would do, and that is instead of trying to consume, how can we as families spend less and give more? Show the world around us that it is better to give than to receive. How can we live our lives in this time that makes a bold declaration that I'm preparing for the coming of the king. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today with our hearts challenged. Lord, so often I find myself being swept away into the realities of this culture that wants to tell me it's all about me, that I could be my own king, that I can rule my own world. But I know and I'm so thankful that you've rescued me from that deep sin and that I get to live my life under your rule and reign. That the kingdom is when your rule and reign is restored. That your kingdom has come through Christ and that when you're seated on the throne of our hearts, our lives look different. When you're seated on the throne of this church, the church looks different. When you're seated on the throne of a nation, the nation looks different. And God, we're asking that you would come and be seated on the throne of our hearts, on the throne of this church, Lord. And Lord, that in this time, when everybody's busy, when everybody's consuming, when everybody's being swept away by cultural idols, God, I pray that we would slow down, that we would remember, that we would meditate, we'd repent, and God, that we would be brought up into a better story. And that better story is you're coming, God. We are waiting for that day. We're longing for the day when you will come. We're, we're praying your kingdom come, your will be done. We're wanting to be a preview of, of a people that they would see that if a, they live in this world, that they live under a, a different set of, they live under a different kingdom. That their king is, is Jesus. They're filled with love and grace. So Lord, we want to dedicate this time. And we want to celebrate with all the saints of history. This Advent time is thanking you for your coming through Christ, your work that you've accomplished. And that we're looking forward to the day when you return again and that gives us great purpose now, how we should live our lives. Let us prepare, let us be patient, and let us persevere. In Jesus' name.